This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey everyone, welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm glad you're here today. Hey, if you've been enjoying the podcast, will you take a moment today and just go over to iTunes and leave a quick rating and review? I know it can be a pain, but it only takes about 30 seconds and it really helps get the show out there. Thanks so much. All right, guys, my guest today is Manda Carpenter. Manda is a super sweet and super inspiring person, and you'll soon hear why. She's just 28 years old, but has been a foster mom with her husband for several years years now. Currently, they're fostering three brothers, but have fostered kids as young as babies and as old as 17. In addition to fostering, which she's wanted to do since she was a kid, Manda has a heart for leading women. Her signature phrase is, impressing is exhausting, and she's writing, speaking, and leading women to being who God created them to be, not who the world wants them to be. Manda says she is certain about only two things. Number one, there isn't a single person you wouldn't love if you knew their story. And number two, Jesus died on the cross for my sin and yours, and because of God's unfathomable grace, I am being transformed, and so can you. Her authenticity is palpable, and I was so blessed and inspired by this conversation. Enjoy hearing from the kind and wise Manda Carpenter. All right, welcome to the podcast, Manda. I'm so glad that we are connecting today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so to get started, I know you live in Chicago. We were just talking about that, pretty close to me here in Indianapolis, and you've just published a new devotional called Space, which I want to talk about. You're a foster mom. What else should we know about you and what's most important in your life? Yeah, well, covers it. No, I um, <laughs> I do live in Chicago with my husband and we are currently foster parents to three boys, 13, nine, and six years old. So we have a pretty uh, fun and rambunctious household. I am a writer, a speaker, and an advocate. And yes, I published um, a space devotional and it's on Amazon and it's just been such a cool journey because I didn't set out to write a devotional. I actually just genuinely had this like private journey with God where he totally transformed the way that I live and function. And it didn't happen overnight. And it's um, something that like for me just felt like such a, a period of like enlightenment as I journeyed with him and kind of navigated why I made the choices that I made and the motivation behind the things that I did and the way that I was living. And so anyway, as I learned how to live with more space in my life, how to create it and maintain it, and then also uh, how to use my space well, I ended up feeling that like push from the Holy Spirit to write that journey for other people. And so that's really what led to the devotional. And then that led to workshops. And now we have a mini retreat. And so it's just been really neat. Um, so that's a huge part of my life and something I'm really passionate about. Um, so between that and fostering, I definitely have my hands full. <laughs> so the retreat and the workshops, those are all, all of that is related to the devotional itself. Yeah, yeah. It truly just was like, like, I'll just say this. 
I was not the person who like set out to create a thing and like had this strategic map of like, I'm going to create this and then I'm going to do this and then it's going to turn into this. That, that was actually not my journey at all. It was this private thing between me and God. Then I sent it out via email for 30 days straight to anyone who wanted to sign up and get it as like a devotional series. Mm -hmm. They asked for it in print. So I decided to, you know, on a whim, I created it on Canva and then I like, printed it out and like gave it to people who wanted it in print. And then it got, you know, it was like, oh, well, you could like sell this and this could be a thing. Like you really should. This is wonderful. This is changing lives. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So then I went ahead and self-published it. And then um, I sold it on my own website. And then I got smarter and I put it on Amazon so it could be accessible to more people and in other countries and places around the world. And then they were like, oh, it'd be really cool if you offered like an in-person workshop to go along with it. So I just really listened to my audience, to my readers Mm -hmm. who asked for things and that led to the next step. And so, yeah, then the next thing was we had um, a retreat in my home for 10 women and we're doing it again in the spring. And so it's just been really neat and um, truly like effortless when, when I think about it, like it, it was not something I had to strive for or like really have to like work hard to make happen. It, it just was like, I feel like I obeyed what I knew God was calling me to do and asking of me. And then that just propelled one thing after another. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like pretty easy to know that you're doing the right thing when you're not even really pursuing it. It's almost like pursuing you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And plus you had already written it. It's like, so might as well put it together in book form. The hard, hard part had already been done. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think what's neat too is like, you know, for years I thought I wanted to write a book and I had book proposals. I've been talking to agents and um, publishing companies and we've been kind of working through. And, you know, one of the big things they say is like, grow your audience, grow your audience. And that's just part of the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I felt like I had been pursuing and striving and trying and nothing was, I wasn't having any real breakthrough. And what's really neat is, like I said, like this act of obedience and sort of the way God just like took me on this journey. It truly just felt like I was on a roller coaster ride. And it still does where I'm not having to do the pushing. I'm just like in the seat, hands up, having fun. Um, that actually led to when I was able to say, oh, this many copies sold in the first six months, that actually led to my first book deal. So right now I'm finishing my manuscript for a book that I'm really excited about that'll come out in the very beginning of 2021. So it feels far away, but it's also like so soon. (laughs) I know it's like the book process really does feel really long, but then again, you do have to write it. So that takes a while. (laughs) It's requiring the whole of me, uh, mind, body, and spirit. Now, can you share at all what it's about or is that still under wraps? Yeah, I, I think I can share a little bit about what it's, what, you know, what this book is entails, although, you know, it's always subject to change. And I'm sure that as I keep going and go through the editing process, it will be um, different. But it's really about soul care. It's really about, I have a phrase that I say all the time, impressing is exhausting. And that phrase obviously means a lot to me. And there's a lot of personal story that I tell throughout the book of where that comes from. But really, it's not just like, oh, impressing is exhausting. Ugh, yeah, we can all resonate with that. It's like, okay, well, then what is that pathway forward? Like, how do we break free? How do we live with freedom? How can we um, really become, I don't like to say like, I don't like the phrase living up to our full potential, which I could unpack that and it might take us a while, but I'll, I'll give you the short version. Like, 
I don't think we were created to live up to our full potential. I don't even know exactly what that means, but I believe that when we look at the life of Jesus, um, he didn't live up to his full potential. I mean, he was the son of God. After all, he could have done anything and he did do a lot. But like, I think about it, I'm like, Jesus took naps. Jesus rested. Jesus, you know, we just, when you study his life and it's like, he certainly didn't live up to his full potential because he didn't need sleep. He was the son of God, right? Like in that sense. And he had power to do whatever he wanted. And yet he lived with space and he had these rhythms and he, and he fulfilled his mission. And so I think a lot of this book too is really how do we fulfill the mission that we are given on this earth instead of striving to live up to some full potential? And I have that like in air quotes because it's like, Again, what does that even mean? Um, But it's a lot of surrender instead of striving. It's a lot of living healed instead of hiding. Um, And so I'm really excited. You could totally put it in the category of like a Christian Mm -hmm. self-help. Just I want to cheer people on in their journey. And I'm, I'm happy to go first and lead the way by sharing a lot of my most um, vulnerable and dark and scary times in my life. Yeah, I, I love that concept, and I think, um, and I think that message is is really needed right now uh, because we get a lot. I think there's almost like a um, what there's like a phrase like tyranny of the like too many, too many decision, too many options sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or we feel like every decision we make, like we're afraid that it might be the wrong one because there's just so many different pathways you could take and. Like, how do you sort of rest in trusting God um, that he's leading you in the right direction? Um, right. I think there's just so much, like, that you could unpack with that whole concept. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, did you um, did you decide, hey, I think I might want to, like, did you put together a book proposal and pursue an agent? and Or did someone pursue you after your devotional sort of went crazy? So, after the devotional took off, I was approached by several people, and I actually had for a long time had my eye on an editor that I that I love um, based on what I knew of her and sort of the type of books that she edited. And I'd always kind of been like, oh, she would be my dream editor. And so I, in the midst of being approached by all these people, um, I I would talk to them, but I wouldn't commit to anything. And I just decided I'm going to reach out to her and see if I could send her this book proposal. And it's the same proposal. It had been tweaked, but it's the same proposal as I'd had for a long time. Um, But nothing had happened with it, right? Because at that point, there wasn't enough evidence to show like anyone was really listening to me or that I could sell the number of copies that they would want sold. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it, it was tweaked slightly, but overall it was the same concept for that I'd had for a few years on my, on my heart and sent it off to her. And it was really cool. We had a phone call. And after that phone call, she was like, I would really like to take this through the process with our publishing company. So this is kind of what the process would look like. And then at the end of it, you know, you'd either be offered a deal or we'd be passing on it. But I was like, that sounds great. Like, I didn't know what that even meant, really. <laughs> yeah. And what's really cool is I ended up um, receiving an offer, and it felt like a really strong offer, but I wanted to compare it with some friends of mine in that world, and they verified that it was a strong offer, but I still decided before I accepted it just to get an agent. And that worked out well because she was able to negotiate an even better offer. And so in, like, two days, I went from – not having any of this too, I got a deal, but signed with an agent who negotiated and then I got an even stronger offer. And so it was like, again, it happened so effortlessly at that point. It was like, wow, this is cool. Like I, 
in the grand scheme of it, I'm like, gosh, for so long, I wanted this thing or I strived for this thing. And, um, yeah, the way it played out was just very similar to the devotional. It just sort of was effortless. And, um, I could tell that like God was at work. And so how did you go about getting an agent? Just curious. So I actually reached back out to, um, an agency that had previously been in contact with me and we were emailing, um, about that. And the specific agent that I was in touch with was no longer like had any space to take on any new clients, but she was like, Whoa, like if this is the email that you just got from this publishing company, you definitely want to get your agent. So let's get you on the phone with one of our other agents who's also part of the same agency Mm -hmm. on the same, that same day. And so I got on the phone with her. It was just like all happening so fast. It was really, really neat. And then I clicked, clicked with her, felt like we hit it off. And she was such like a, like a bulldog. Like I was like, Oh, I like your personality. Like she was really like, like more on the aggressive side, which aligns with me. I'm an Enneagram eight. And so I just appreciate like aggressive people. I appreciate, which sounds funny, but like she just wasn't timid. She was really out there, really direct with her questions. And I was like, okay, we could do this. So I signed with her and then she, she contacted the editor again and was like, okay, I'm hearing there's a deal on the table. What does this look like? And it was, it was awesome. It all happened pretty quickly. Yeah. I've heard, um, it's always best to have an agent because there's just so many details in the publishing world that as a, especially first time writer, you have no idea what's going on. So I think you definitely made the right move there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would recommend that to anyone who's hoping to publish a book. Okay, so really quick, I want to talk a little more about space. Um, so do you still work at a church? I, I, I know Allie Wren, and I know you were on her podcast, and I was listening to that interview, and at that time you were working at a church. Are you still doing that? No, I actually stopped working at the church about a year ago. It'll be a year in just a few weeks, so that's crazy. And um, when I left the church, it was one month, maybe going on like six weeks. So four to six weeks after leaving my job that I released the devotional Mm -hmm. and, um, that journey like took off. So this is all within less than a year at this point. So you're now focused full time on courses, writing and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Um, and with having three specialized kids through foster care Mm -hmm. and what I'm And for people that don't know about specialized care, it's just a higher level of medical and or behavioral needs. So Mm -hmm. there's just more intense um, therapy that we have to do each week and visitations are increased. There's just a a lot more logistical things added to our plate. It wouldn't really be possible for me to be working in a traditional like nine to five full-time job. So it actually, again, the timing of everything, just the way it played out is really really something. Um, again, it was like one of those things where it's like, I could not have orchestrated this. Like this is totally got at work. I would love to hear sort of, I know you can't really sum up your devotional in a sentence, but what are some of the steps that you, I know, or advice that you offer in terms of creating more space in our lives? Like what are some, some little things that we can do in the midst of the busyness? So many people listening uh, to my podcast, I know are moms and working moms. And so what, what are some of those things? Yeah. So I'll just say like, like the devotional space devotional is an invitation to create sustainable rhythms of work, play and rest in your life. Like I am not living in some fantasy land where I'm like, everyone just needs to take a breath and like 
give up all your responsibilities. Like I know that that's not life. And so it is not at all written from that perspective. That is not the belief that I hold. Um, I just believe that there are more sustainable ways that we can have um, work, play and rest in our life. And I do that through rhythms instead of routines. And so I kind of talk through what rhythms look like a little bit. And the devotional really, it starts from a place of just acknowledging that we are human beings, not human doings, and that we need space to be with God so that we don't kill the work of God in us. And I talk through a lot of that um, and what that looks like. And um, I set people up so that they know how to create space in their life. So to answer your question and give you some tangible things, one way that we create space in our life is we have to really, you, you can't get where you want to go until you know where you already are. So you have to assess and take inventory of like, here's my life right now. Like you need to like sit and write out like, what do your days look like? How are you actually spending your time? Instead of just saying like, oh, I think I spent, you know, I work here, I do this. No, like actually take a week of your life and jot down hour by hour what you're doing. And you'll either find, sometimes both, that you're wasting a lot of time. You're actually wasting the space you have by scrolling and checking out and binge watching Netflix and sh online shopping, whatever. Like there's a lot of things we do that waste time and space. Or you might find that you are not utilizing, like when maybe you think that you're working, um, but really you're noticing that you you are distracted by Instagram or other things like very similarly, you waste the space. Like you might think you're working 40 hours a week, but you're actually not because you're not using, it's really t a lot of time management. And so I talked through that. Um, you might notice that you actually have a lot of space. You just aren't using it well. So there's, there's a bunch of different ways that you could land depending on how things go when you do like an assessment of your space. But you might also start to look at the, why behind the things that you're doing. So like you might start to discover, wow, I say yes to a lot of things. Okay. That might be a discovery. And then it's like, well, what's the why behind that? For some people it's going to be, well, because I'm, I fear that I'll look like a bad mom if I don't help out at my kid's school once a week or do this thing. And, um, or if I can't, if I don't lead a small group or, or we justify it and we say, well, these are all good things. And I even express in the space devotional, like, you're going to have to cut things from your life and say no a lot. And it's going to be good things. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not actually saying give up only the quote unquote, like bad things or the things that are time wasters. Like you might even need to give up some good things. And so, um, I talk through that. I walk through that. So it's a lot of saying no. It's a lot of when you have space, how you use it. So some examples in that world are checking in instead of numbing out. So a lot of times we think that we're resting and we're recharging when we're not. So that space not used well, because when you have it, you want to use it well. Um, that could look like going to counseling. That could look like doing yoga. That could look like journaling. It could go for a walk outside, leave your phone behind. Um, maybe you have to go to the grocery store and run that errand but how could you do it in a way that's going to recharge your soul instead of feeling like just another to-do item or just another, yeah, just another chore? Do you think your time? Do you think that anyone can ever rest if they have their phone? Oh. If they're looking at it, if they're playing with it? That's, that's a great question. I don't think so personally. Um, I even sleep with my phone outside of my bedroom. So my phone has a charging station in our kitchen and I leave my phone there. I bought an old school alarm clock. Like that was another step for me to have a spacious environment. And, and obviously like 
I don't physically have a ton of space. We live in the city of Chicago and we're not millionaires. So we clearly can't afford a huge home, but it's like a spacious environment is even setting up your environment and setting yourself up for success to have real rest. We just, we are in a world that is instant gratification and everybody's connected at all times. And it's like, we have to take, I think, radical um, precaution or like step into these ideas that aren't actually that radical, but feel like it in a culture that just thinks it's okay to live this way. And maybe for some people it is, but I, my personal belief is that it isn't for any of us, but we, we have to arrive to that, um, that notion on our own and everybody has their own, uh, like break for me. I got to that breaking point when I was physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like all of those things depleted. I was crabby. I I mean, what's the point in showing up to your church to volunteer if your heart is like, I don't even want to be here. This is so stupid. And like, oh, these kids are stressing me out. Like I was volunteering with kids, which should be wonderful. And your heart should be in the right place. And yet it was just another thing taking up my time and space in a, in a time of my life where I had none. And I, that, that was like one of the realizations for me is I was like, why am I doing this? Like God doesn't care that I'm serving with kids. He cares about the condition of my heart. And that is clearly not in a good state right now. And so I had to let go of a lot of things. Do you have personal rules for yourself around social media or how much time you spend on you know, doing things on your phone or online? Yes. Yes. So I set um, my Instagram, you can, anybody can go into your Instagram and set like a time limit. And mine is an hour a day, which actually is quite generous, but I need that for the type of work that I do. I I have to be on, I would say maybe more than someone who's not like their social media isn't a big part of their business. So I would set that at a much stricter limit. um, If I were someone that doesn't sell products and just uses it truly as a social thing. Uh, but for me, it's an hour a day. And when that timer goes off, here's the other hard part though. It's having the self-discipline to actually not just hit okay and ignore that reminder <laughs> and like wrap up what I'm doing and get off. Um, and I have limits with email. I have limits with, with all of these things. Really, I build out my days and this changes depending on the season. And I do teach a lot about seasons within the devotional too, because you can't say, oh, it's just a busy season. If you've been saying that for four years, it's not a season. That's (laughs) That's your life. So you build these rhythms that you set for yourself. For me, it's quarterly. So I'll look at four months at a time, and decide what are my rhythms. Maybe for this season, for these four months, I am going to wake up and spend the first 15 minutes of my day praying and being with God. Maybe in this other season, this next one, that's not going to work. And here's why X, Y, and Z reasons. So where do I do it? Oh, I'm going to do it at noon while I sit and eat lunch and chew slowly as a practice that I am not going to always, as a discipline and a practice of having space and that I'm not always going to be in a rush and on. I was going to say, what for you, you talked about we're human beings, not human doings. So for you, what does it look like to be present with God? To be present with God could look like playing with my kids. It could look like sitting and reading a passage in scripture and just sitting with it and chewing on it. It often does not look like posting about my quiet time with God. It doesn't necessarily look like serving at church. You know, there's just, I think I've been on the journey and I'm still in it of really revamping 
what all of this looks like for me and what it means. And I'm trying to sort of deconstruct all the things that I was told to believe or somehow society and culture molded me to believe so that I can figure out for myself what this looks like. Because that's the thing. I don't think we were why we are not wired to be the same type of people. Like we were all uniquely created and given these wonderful gifts and personalities. And so I didn't ever want this space devotional and my personal journey to just be like, um, like a factory of like, okay, now you read the book, you go to the workshop and then boop, pop out. You look like me and your life rhythm should look like mine. No, that's not the way this is. It's really an invitation to a much more holistic personal journey. And I think you have to be with God to figure that out for yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've been really latching onto lately is, um, well, what I've been saying is um, the church of your past doesn't have to be the church of your future. And I think that also applies just you could just insert faith for church um, because so many people, I think, can be jaded by their past and just so trained by the way things were growing up um, that we should be open to uh, changing our patterns and rhythms in the way that we believe or or interact with God. And, and I think that's just a really important concept to grasp and just realize that we can do that we don't have to it doesn't have to be the way that it used to be and another way to create space really really easily is to delete all your social media for like a few weeks like yeah. right now I'm on a I'm on a month hiatus right now and it's amazing um and I don't miss it and will I step back into that world yes but every time I take a break like a month off like this and then I re-enter I do it so much differently. And it's like every so often your heart needs that, or at least mine does. So So you're not you're not on any social media right now? I have not been. My I have someone who posts on my Facebook on my behalf um, that I do work with. Um, so it can look like sometimes that a person is still active on their social handles, but they're not. So if you look on like Instagram, you'll see I haven't been on it all since um, early December. And so do you, when you open that back up, are you just going to have like a million DMs and things that you need to reply to? Yeah, but you know, that's another thing about creating space. I no longer reply to every email or every DM or anything like that. I've actually really given myself permission to read something and then move on or to, um, I, I really take a moment and I ask myself like, or, or does this need a response right now? Because that's the other thing I preach in the space devotional and at the workshops is, other people's notifications and their reaching out, their calls, their texts, their emails, their whatevers, that can't rule your calendar and your life. So another very tangible way for someone to practice having space in their life is to have these boundaries where you really have to retrain yourself if you're anything like me and you have any sort of people pleaser in you at all to say, just because someone's calling me right now, I don't have to pick up. Mm-hmm. Or just because they texted me, I don't have to respond today. And so I actually turned on my read receipt. And so on my phone, I did that because it helps me not to open something and read it. One, with the chance that I'll forget to respond because with three kids, I'm bound to open it, read it, and then I can't mm-hmm. respond right away. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just forget and I don't want to do that. And it helps me like that even is a, is a waste of my time and space and my mental energy. When I open a text and I read it and then I can't even respond right then, I'm going to have to go back, reread it before I reply. And you might call me crazy or think I'm being like over the top about this, 
But having my read receipt on has changed my life because I no longer, I know that that person's going to see that I read it. And so it's, it just helps me. I don't know what it is about that, but it helps me not to open it until I am in a position to respond right then and there. So I usually will, at the end of the day, I'll have like 10 or 15 texts, um, depending on the day, right? Some days I only get two texts. Some days I get <laughs> yeah. texts. It depends how bad my kids are at school. But um, no, I just, I'll have like all these texts at the end of the day and I'll either respond in the evening when my kids go to bed or I'll deal with it in a day or two. But I often don't keep my texts like clear. Like <laughs> there, mm-hmm. there are often many waiting and I'm not doing it to be like, oh, I'm going to keep everyone waiting on me. I'm just really conscious that everyone else's crises or their needs cannot dictate my days and my schedule, or I will never move the ball forward on things that I'm passionate about and things that I was created to do. Oh, that's so smart. I was just talking about the read receipt last night with my husband. I was like, do you see that I've read texts when you send them to me? Because I'm paranoid that that is telling people that I've read it and I don't want them to think I'm reading it and I'm not responding. And it's like, I'm I'm like going the other way than you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. And you have to figure out what works for you. For me, there's something about just having it on that keeps me from even opening it when I'm tempted to um, until I know I'm in a position to respond. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I think that's such a great boundary to have. Well, I want to talk about your kids a little bit more. Um, Now, you're only 28, right? Yes. Okay, so I was just, you know, scrolling through your Instagram, of course, as I was researching to to chat with you. And um, I was surprised that you're so young and that you guys have have already like kind of launched into this world full force of foster care. Um, And I would love to just hear how did you end up doing that? And then also, how did you end up choosing to do specialized? I mean, on top of just entering foster care, you had to check a box that said, we'll take kids that have extra special problems. So tell me about that journey. Yeah. So I always knew I was going to be a foster parent um, because when I was younger, I come from just an interesting childhood and uh, we'll just sum it up in that. And so when I was seven, I learned from my own experience that not every kid grows up in a safe, stable, loving environment. And I had my interaction at seven years old with the foster care system. And so it, it was just 
part of my life. And as I grew older, for whatever reason, I just always knew I would be a foster parent. So by the time I was dating in college, um, it was very much a non-negotiable on my list and something I was very upfront about with anyone I dated. So I would tell this new boyfriend or this guy that I was going on dates with or whatever, like, hey, just so you know, I'm not sure I'm going to have biological children, but I do know for sure that I'm going to be a mom through foster care. So if that is something you're not open to, we shouldn't even go on another date. And so it's just an easy thing for me to like filter people through. And now, so fast forward to later in college, I meet my husband and it was really interesting because we come from like totally different childhoods, totally different backgrounds. And yet he just responded with like such, um, it wasn't pity. It wasn't like, I feel so sorry for you. It was just like, oh my gosh, like tell me more. And like, I want to learn more. And if, if this is true that there are this many kids that are going through abuse and neglect, and there are these needs, like we would absolutely need to do something about that. Like we couldn't just like know that and not do something. And so I just loved like his heart behind that. But he also didn't make any like grand promises of like, we're going to, if we get married, we're going to foster in the first year. Like it was never like, he was also just so realistic about it. He was like, yeah, if we get married, like we're doing this thing. And so we continue to date. Obviously we get married. It's something we always talked about when we got married. We also just had this phrase that we both loved and that is, and if, People have probably heard it, but when you have more than you need, build a longer table rather than a higher fence. And we said that that was just like our life motto together. And I think fostering fits so beautifully in that life mission that we decided we were on. And so we were married for a couple of years and like had our fun and traveled and not that we still don't do those things because we do. And that's something I always like to tell people that are afraid that kids are going to like destroy their fun and their like life in a lot of ways. I'm like, yeah, they will, but also they won't. <laughs> Here's why. So, um, we, we just, yeah, I, I would say we like got to be selfish and just the two of us and start really figuring out what does it mean to be married and get those, get that foundation set. And then we moved into, um, a two bedroom apartment here in Chicago so that we would have an extra bedroom to potentially have a kid in, you know, through foster care. So we started that process. We got our license right away. We had numerous kids um, in our home, in and out. We had a lot of like short-term things and we cycled through a lot of it and it was hard and good and we learned a lot. And I think partly because we, there was never a point where we were just sitting there like, we're available if there's a kid in need. We, we never encountered that. And that's mm-hmm. possibly because we live in Chicago or I don't know, but it was always like, I mean, we would have, there was a time where we had four kids for a weekend and they were calling us about two more. And we were like, uh, we're in a two bedroom apartment. I don't think we can take any more and, um, things like that. So anyways, the need was clearly great. And we found ourselves, um, growing in our passion for it. And so we basically did more research, had more conversations, just really poured ourselves into this work and found out that there's even greater needs in our area for people who are willing to take teens that are in the psych ward at hospitals. And so we learned more about that. That's really how we got into specialized care. And we got our 13 year old that way. And then his two younger brothers ended up um, having to leave their foster home due to abuse in the home, in the foster home. 
And so they moved in with us too. So typically we would only have probably a lot of teenagers. Um, not, not, I guess only, but that would be the main call that we would get with the agency that we're with currently. But we do have his two younger brothers now because of a really not normal, awful situation. So you skipped over it, but I want to go back for just a second about like you became a parent and what was that like? Like all of a sudden you were like 24, 25, however ever old you were, and you became a parent for the first time. I mean, what was that overwhelming at all? Like, tell me about that experience. Yes. So, and we, we became parents overnight. Our first kids were twin three-year-old girls who we fell head over heels for. And so we became a parent to a toddler who I had to potty train, who has special needs, and her twin sister in one night. It was definitely crazy. And this was during the season that I was working at my church. So thank the Lord that even though I was working full time, they were so gracious and accommodating to just how our life literally flipped overnight. Um, it was, it was very difficult. It was very, very difficult. I, I can sit back now or close my eyes now and sort of recall the anxiety, the, I mean, one, I think you go immediately into an adrenaline mode where like adrenaline carries you and then you go into like a crash mode where you're like, what have we done? Our life is awful. And like, I don't know how to survive. And that's when I think we really relied heavily on our community um, to bring meals, to help pull us back up because we were like great. The first few weeks you're like, we got this. This isn't that hard. Right. But it's you're in a honeymoon phase and there's adrenaline. Um, That's and, like and what I, they say about after you have a baby too. So, okay. Interesting. I see. I don't know that I don't have not been pregnant and at this time have no plans to not that that couldn't change, but um, yeah, I never knew that. So I would say maybe it was similar in that regard. It was like, we got this. And then all of a sudden one day I was like, I haven't slept and I'm so tired Yeah, and I'm falling apart. And I actually went to my doctor and I was put on an anti-anxiety medication for, um, specifically she said I was dealing with situational depression and anxiety just related to this massive life change. So she was like, we're going to put you on this. It's low dose, but I think it's going to help you because you really are going through like your own trauma. And she was like, just make sure you're taking care of yourself. And so ironically, this whole space journey came out of this other thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not lost on me how intertwined and connected they really are. And so you, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine because you thinking your whole life that I'm going to be a foster mom. And now here it is after all this time, you're doing it and it's really hard. Now, have you guys ever had, uh, have you ever had any time since then where you didn't have any kids in the home? very brief times. Yeah. Very, very brief. Nothing. I mean, gosh, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but I want to say we've not gone more than a month without a kid. Um, and, and the other thing is too, we've stayed in touch with all of our former kids and their families. And so like, for example, we had this 17 year old girl who lived with us in foster care for a while. Then she aged out. We got her into a program. She was living where she was in this program. And now she's 19 and she's stays with us about two to three nights a week. Cause she's going to a local community college right by our house. And like, we're still like very much parent figures to her, even though she's 19. Um, so it's sort of like, even when we haven't maybe had a new kid in our home and all the others have left, we've got like the old ones resurfacing and like coming back. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't recall 
since early 2017, a point where we haven't had kids that we're caring for in some way. Yeah. And so when you decided to do the specialized and you said, okay, we're going to take a teenager that's in the psych ward. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big decision. Was there fear involved in that? Or how did you feel like you knew this was the right thing for your family? Okay. You would get such different answers from me and my husband, if you were to, <laughs> to have him on the podcast, because this is a beautiful thing about me, but it's also, it can also be a downfall. I live with optimism, like no other. So I, I can tell you how we're going to get through this and like how great it's going to be. And like, I can just pump everybody up. I can make, I could probably get people to do things because I just, um, uh, have such an optimism and like a zest for life. And that's just the, the type of personality I have. And so, no, I actually wasn't scared. And I told myself, oh, this is going to be great. And this is, this is wonderful. And then what's really interesting and a new part of a journey that I'm on with God is that this kid in particular, who I love, my oldest foster son right now, he has broke me. Like he has, um, he has taught me that I'm not invincible. He has taught me or I guess having him in our care has really allowed me to get to the end of myself where I actually need God and I'm actually desperate for his grace and mercy and like hope um, when I am at the end of myself. So if that makes sense, it wasn't scary to me. And I was like very much like, we can do this. And I think I had a little bit of this like savior complex of like, oh, we got this. Like we can turn any kid around. Mm -hmm. I think at my core, I really believed that, which is really comical right now because I'm like, nope, don't got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not happening. Um, and so it's been really hard and painful in it, but I would say going into it. Oh, I was like, we got this. Did you, have you had moments, I guess, since then where you thought it might not work out? A absolutely. No. And to be honest, like Right now, the goal for our children is to return home. That's still the goal by the judge right now. And whether or not that changes, we've had to really ask ourselves, ourselves, you know, because I always said like, oh, if there's a kid that, you know, we foster who can't be reuni reunified with their family, like, of course we would adopt. Mm -hmm. And again, this situation has allowed me to step back and to say, wow, maybe, but maybe not. Um, if it feels... Like saying yes to forever is more of a life sentence than a blessing. I need to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And that that's not, that doesn't make me a monster that what we're doing um, for these kids and in the life that we're choosing to live um, doesn't mean that I have to like stay in misery forever. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm in counseling and that's how I'm able to process <laughs> all of these very, very mixed emotions. Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, you know, I, I, I say that I'm um, passionate about foster care, and I am. I'm, I'm very passionate about advocating for it. And actually, prior to you, one of my interviews was with Rita Soronin, who's the CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And um, I've had a lot of people on and just friends that are involved in that. 
Um, but it is a very intimidating place to go. Um, people are scared of fostering. I mean, and it's a huge commitment and there are, and it is hard to, I mean, I say hard, it's kind of hard to get certified. You have to take the classes, you have to go through all the, um, the home studies and all of that. But what would, might be your message to people who are thinking about it or have thought about it? Um, that person is me <laughs> too. Um, right now I have a, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And my husband and I started to go through the process recently and we sort of stopped in the middle because we sort of realized that life is really hard right now with our kids <laughs> and we need to push push this off for right now. Um, but I'm, I don't want to not come back to it. But I, I feel like there can be a lot of barriers um, mentally. And so I would just love to hear what might you say to someone that is in that kind of place. Yes. I would say there are so many ways to get involved and to be an advocate without bringing kids into your home. And so I would start there and I would say, become a CASA, a court appointed specialist advocate. We actually love our CASA. She advocates for us and the kids in court. It's been so helpful. Um, so I definitely like a CASA as a volunteer position, but there are ways um, it, it doesn't have to turn out to be like this full-time job and it's so needed and so helpful. You could reach out to local agencies and ask like if they need help with, or do they have Christmas wish lists, things like that around this time of year. Like our kids were able to get three Christmas wishes fulfilled through our agency. And that's really through donors, either providing like financial resources or actually purchasing gifts for our kids. It really helps and it makes a big difference. Um, there's actually a website called, oh, is it, it might be, let me just make sure. I think it's one simple wish. Yeah. So one simple wish.org is a website that you can fulfill different, um, wishes for a foster child in need. And, um, there's just so many ways to get involved. Another thing that I would say to a family like yours or anyone single married with kids, without kids, whatever, who's interested in fostering, I would say like read books, listen to podcasts. I have books about foster care on my website. I talk about this stuff on my Instagram a lot and I have it like in my story highlights. I have like a foster care one oh one kind of thing. And Consider respite care. So respite care for people who don't know is basically very short-term care of a foster child. And it's used, usually used for a foster family who needs a break. So for example, if my husband and I want a break and we want to take a vacation and we want to go to Florida for one week without our children, they have to go, they can't like biological children who you could usually kind of ship off to grandma and grandpa's. That's not always an option for foster kids. And they often have to go to a certified respite home. So respite homes would do, yeah, just that week or just that weekend, or maybe even one overnight where you're watching somebody else's foster children. That's such a gift. And I'm telling you that is a huge need because what we're finding is that more and more foster parents are getting burnout. And if only that there were people that were willing to do respite, like on an ongoing basis. So this is something we just implemented last month with our kids once a month, one weekend a month. So, so that's it. Just one weekend, two nights a month, they are going to a respite home and it's the same one every time. So they have consistency and they're not just being bounced around to more strangers all the time. But once a month they go for respite and my husband and I do whatever we want, but we get a breather and it's, it's, 
it's what we had to do in order to sustain this placement. Yeah, I think you're right about the burned out thing. Uh, the one I also wanted to mention that I, you you have a few t-shirts and that you you sell on your website, and one of them is get too attached. And I know what that means, but explain explain the reason behind the t-shirt. Yeah, so it has a couple different meanings. The first and easy one for a lot of people is like, I often hear like, oh, that's so amazing. You're a foster parent. I could never do that. I'd get too attached. And I want to slap those people, <laughs> even though they have great hearts. And I know that they're just trying to be kind. It's really frustrating because I want to say, do you think I like have just some like cold heart and I don't get too attached and I'm just, it's easy for me to take a kid in, love them like they're my own and then let them go. Like, no, it's not easy. Of course I get too attached. So don't tell me that's your excuse for not doing it. Um, so that's part of where it comes from a little bit of my anger. <laughs> and then it really, no, but really it, the majority of this phrase for me comes from, I think that we, it's easy to, when you decide then the next step that you're going to be a foster parent and you get into this, it's easy to get to attach to the cute kids that are in your home. It's real easy. But I think what matters more and what's a lot harder sometimes is to get to attach to the whole family, mm-hmm. to love their mom and their dad and their aunt and their whoever as much as you love them. Like, don't just fall in love with the cute kid that's in your home but fall in love with and get yourself to attach to that whole family because the goal of foster care is reunification. And, um, it's so beautiful. If they do get to reunify the relationship that you get to have, that's ongoing for months and years to follow because you got to attach to everybody. Like I'll never forget driving one of our, um, children's moms to, the testing site so she could get her GED and paying for her testing fees because I cared enough about her and I got too attached to her that I didn't just want to care for her kids and like hope she figures out her crap. It was like, let's do this together. Like what are some ways that you're going to be able to live the life that you need to live in order to get your kids back? And if having your GED is going to help you get the job that you need, right? These all go hand in hand. That's an example of getting too attached. Yeah, those relationships, I mean, lasting beyond the care, I mean, so, so important and just the long term of life, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's so true. Well, I know that we're kind of running short on time um, and I wanted to ask you about your marriage course, Peel the Orange. Um, So give me like the short, the short synopsis on that. And then I would love if you have any marriage tips. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to tell people all the time, like, I'm not a marriage expert. I'm not a family you know, marriage counselor, whatever. But here's the thing. Number one, I feel like I have read so many books on marriage. I care so much about marriage. Like I come from a divorced home. My dad's been married numerous times. We won't get into all that. But like for me, I, I don't see marriage actually the way I described my personality earlier. Like with this optimism, I have always had like a lot of fear around around marriage and marriage's ending and my own and just like that's been hard for me. And so I, I guess to set you up for what I am passionate about and why I, why my husband and I created Peel the Orange, our marriage course, or really it's a relationship course. You don't have to be married to take it. But we did it because when we would read these books and listen to these podcasts from these marriage experts or these people who have these degrees and licenses or these people who have been married for 20 plus years, They were all great. We've gleaned a lot of wisdom from them. However, we felt like in a lot of ways, they overlooked the 
struggles that maybe they either forgot happen in your first five years of marriage, or maybe they don't see as being like a big enough thing to talk about. But as my husband and I have been married for almost five years now, we have encountered things that we feel like are very real struggles and shouldn't just be glossed over or overlooked because it's not maybe as big as something um, that these marriage people typically talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've watched as people we know have either separated and or gotten a divorce after just like one or two years of marriage. And I think to myself, we live in a society and a culture that is so quick to call it quits instead of working through things. So that's a lot behind orange. So we created the content and decided to release it the way we did, which is it's a four week course to help you pull back the layers or peel back the layers to discover the fruit of your relationship. And it's an online thing. So you can do it from the comfort of your own home because as my husband and I go to counseling together, and that's been something we've done our entire marriage, it's a proactive um, way that we just keep ourselves in check and really stay um, on top of our junk instead of waiting for crap to hit the fan. Um, we, we are aware that not everyone can afford counseling ongoing. Uh, we're aware that a lot of people have such like a stigma around counseling. So that prevents them from going or they think to themselves like, well, we're not that bad. Like we're not on the verge of divorce, so we don't need to go to counseling. And it's like, we aren't either. Like I've heard that. And so for all these reasons, we decided let's just sit and really take what we've learned through our experiences, through counseling, through our pastors, through each of us and our mentors, like through all those relationships, the books that we've read, all these different things, let's put it together. Let's break it into some categories and like offer this to people because I really think that people need this and we could afford, we could do it at an affordable price and they can do it from the comfort of their own home. So we eliminate some of those barriers that typically keep people from it. And it has been so fun to walk hundreds of couples through in the last year that released in February of last year. So again, it was like the space devotional was out and this course came out and it's been such a cool journey. And we really do hope to offer like an in-person retreat or workshop for couples basically to take peel the orange and to to bring it to an in-person thing um that's definitely a future goal how did you um coming from you know it sounds like you had a rough past you didn't have a you had a broken family how Mm -hmm. did you get such a healthy view of marriage (laughs) i would say the ongoing work of therapy and I think that through relationships and other educational resources, I've just become more and more aware and taken ownership and made decisions for myself in my life of where, you know, what I believe and who I want to be and, and just really asking myself if each of the little decisions that I make are leading me closer to that or not. And so I, I would say it's hard to give a give a very specific direct answer. It's sort of this really organic and authentic ongoing process in my life. Um, 
but I also just married really well. My husband's <laughs> like a saint. So that's what I would say. About that helps. Him. That helps. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let me move on to just end of the podcast questions, which I sent to you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at them, but um, first one is what is some good advice that you'd want to pass down to the next generation advice that you've used in your own life? The advice that I would give the next generation is really get to know yourself and get really aware of your motives because behind everything you say and do is a motive. And when you can be that aware that you recognize and acknowledge the why behind your behavior, I think that's when you can actually start to awareness leads to action. And that for me has been so transforming. Okay. I like that. Who is a role model or inspiration in your life or just a person, maybe someone that you haven't met that you'd love to sit down with and have drinks or dinner with? I would love to sit across the table and chat with probably Brene Brown. See, I see so much of myself in her and the things that she says, but I'm also like, I'd be so interested in a lot of her journey of becoming who she is and, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I love Brene Brown. I resonate with so much of what she does and says. And so I would be so honored to like sit at her feet and just learn from her in yeah, person, you know? Totally. So she's my pick. I like that one. Okay. What's a goal that you'd like to accomplish in the next five to 10 years? I'm a dreamer. I set goals, but this might be a really odd answer. This is truly where I'm at today. I think that I want to live a really small and simple life. And I'm not sure what that means for someone who's a writer, a speaker, and an advocate. I'm not <laughs> sure what that means for someone who, you know, is supposed to be trying to grow their platform. But I see myself, I used to, I went to college to be a, a teacher and I was a school teacher for four years and I see myself going back and teaching fourth grade. So in five to 10 years, I really hope that I live a really small and simple life. I don't say small in, in a way of like, it's less than I say small and simple in a, for me, I'm like, Oh, it sounds dreamy and really beautiful. Mm. Um, but I, I am feeling that I, again, I don't know what this tension means, but that's my goal. Now, last question. Have you read any books lately that you would recommend? And do you have any favorite podcasts? So I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but I love my friend Annie Downs podcast called That Sounds Fun, Crime Junkie. I like, and also I think that's based out of your city, Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I think it might be now that you mention it. Yeah. And I'm not even a real big crime person, but man, for a road trip, like my husband and I turn on a, turn on one of those episodes and I like get so into it, but I can't watch it or watch it. I can't listen to it at night because I get No, 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 I, I don't can't like, do that either. Yeah. No. Um, and then books, gosh, I am always reading and I love books. Again, I have a list of recommended reads on my website and they're categorized. I need to update. Oh, actually, cool. I'm going to check those out. Yeah. But if, if someone hasn't read, um, a, the book called I'm still here, black dignity in a world made for whiteness as a white woman, it will probably make you uncomfortable, might piss you off a little bit, but man, that has been, I would say one of the best reads of 2019 for me. And who's the author? Uh, Austin Channing, Channing Brown. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I was thinking yeah. that was the one. Yeah, that's not, I haven't, that's on my list. Um, I have about, I just ordered like 10 books from Amazon that are sitting on my desk right now that I haven't read. So I'm yeah. very behind, but I it's have honest, heard good things about that one. Yes, and it's honestly a quick read. Um, it doesn't take like a long time. And her writing is in such a like 
easy to read and understand way. It's not like super flowery language. Yeah, yeah. But man, I am always reading and sharing about books that I read. I Right now I'm finishing a book from my friend Sharon called Nice. Um, oh goodness, what's the subtitle? Oh, I'm going to have Sharon on the podcast. Oh, I love that. It's nice. Why God, why we love to be liked. Yep, and I've read it. More. Okay, I'm reading that right now. And I just love her. And I think that that book, just based on the title and the description and what I've heard, I'm like, oh my goodness, our generation needs this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really unique. Um way that she came at that subject matter. Mm -hmm. Like I I really liked the way that she framed it. Yes, I agree completely. Okay. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking a whole hour to talk with me. I loved everything that you had to say. I think it was really inspiring on a whole multitude of levels. I can't wait for your book to come out. And I just thank you so much for your time and all the good things that you're doing. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.